0: start talking crazy to people oh my goodness it is good to be with you OCC fam I'm bringing my tissue up here because I'm not even really a crier but this whole worship situation today has just my god and let me tell you why I love it and this um, then I'm gonna get into my talk I love it because this is not rehearsed we don't do this every week this is not week in week out oh it's time for a praise break let's do that for 18 hours no this is we make our plan and we're trying to stay on a schedule, but every now and then, God just disrupts that thing, and it's okay. It's just okay. So uh, if you're new to us, every now and then, we, we allow God to, to disrupt us and, and put our program to the side and, and run off schedule and just be free uh, in the Lord. And, and next time, I'm going to try to come to the front where my husband can see me because we needed a run. You know we needed a run. Y'all know we needed like one, I saw somebody take a lap. Who took a lap? Yes. Come on, you better get your heart rate up. We, we needed a little, a little bit of a run, but that's okay. Next time we're going to get it and we're just going to all bring our tennis shoes and be ready to make some laps, make some space for people. But I'm glad to be with you. We're kicking off a series uh, really about action heroes of faith. And uh, I was trying to think about what, what I'd want to share with you and thinking about heroes. I, I mean, I love sports. I didn't play a lot of soccer. I played like one year and truly it's football if you're not in America. But my husband is a legit footballer or a soccer player came here on a soccer scholarship came to the United States of America and um, my son is also an up and coming soccer player loves it. So at our house we watch a lot of highlight reels, and uh, we get in front of TV like it's a whole family night, and we just start going through highlight reels because soccer games are 26 hours long. And so, if you're not into soccer, the highlight reels are really great because you're like, okay, they played for nine days, and the score was zero to one. Can you just show me the goal? Right. <laughs> that's that's really what happens if you're not into soccer. So when we watch highlight reels, we get to see images like these uh, on our screen, usually with video. Yep, that's that's a super cool one. I mean, it's like the lights and the powder and all that stuff. We get to see usually somebody scoring a goal, making some big move, and the crowd is cheering. And then we get to see somebody, like, celebrating. Usually at this point, the team is running around him and and celebrating and running around her. And then every now and then, you get to see this face. Let me tell you why this is important. Hold this for a second. Thank you so much, A-B team. Usually when we're watching these highlights, we're celebrating the position of striker. Now the striker position is the person who is closest to the opponent's goal they usually end up kicking most and scoring most of the goals for a team every now and then you have a, a deep forward if you know if you know something about football you know every now and then you have a forward comes But a lot of times it's it's pure strikers who are close to the opponent's goal and they get to score. And so when you're watching these highlight reels, there's usually some super athletic matrix-like move that's happening. and, And that person, male or female, is being celebrated because they have scored the goal. That's who everybody remembers. That's the jersey that they want to buy. But for every goal scored by a striker, there's somebody else that usually gets overlooked. And you may call her or him the goalie, but they're really called the keeper. And that keeper, their job, I like the word keeper better than goalie because, thank you so much, A.V., that, that keeper's job is, is not going to be as glamorous, okay, because their whole job is to keep the enemy out of their territory. Now here's what's interesting, though. When you're looking at the highlight reel, the position of striker, A a, a striker could actually make 10, 15, even 20 attempts on goal throughout a game and miss them all. But if she scores the one at the right time, a hero highlights. But the reverse is true for the keeper. See, the keeper could save 15 to 20 goals a game. But if they let that one get by at just the right moment... They make the highlight reel for the wrong reason, and all of a sudden, they're the villain. Here's my fear, church, as we talk about purpose today. I think we are consumed with the idea of purpose. I think uh, it's become on trend. It's become fashionable, even greater than the church. We love to find our calling. We want our God-blessed success. We want everything to line up in life, but my fear is that we think our purpose is going to look like that highlight reel where we're scoring goal after goal after goal. And I want to challenge you that it could be that instead of the striker, your purpose is really the keeper. It could be that your win is not going to look like that of somebody else's, that God is not calling you necessarily to attack and your evidence won't be laid out by number of goals that you scored, but it might be laid out by number of goals you prevented. My God. And if you can be so encouraged to know that should you make the highlight reel for the wrong reason, because that one got by, it doesn't mean that you're not living on purpose. It means that God defines a win differently for you. Now, this idea of purpose, we see it beautifully in the life of Paul. And that's who I want to talk about today. Second to Jesus, he is my favorite person in the Bible. Because Paul was not about the foolishness. He had a strong personality. He had an amazing conversion. And we get to see all the sides of what purpose can look like. Purpose is divine. And and if you're searching for purpose right now, if you need to find purpose, if you're trying to figure out why God left you here, or maybe you're trying to impart that to a child or someone you're mentoring, you need to know the divine signs that affirm purpose in your life. But you also need to know that purpose comes with some problems. Somebody say problems. Mm hmm. They come with some problems, y'all. Everything is not going to be blessing on blessing. It's going to be hard sometimes. But let's look at Paul because he's going to show us exactly what it looks like. He's going to show us that the highlight reel is not how you measure how well you're doing, not in God's economy. Paul. Named after King Saul, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Saul had not such a great finish. He started all right, but then he kind of left the, left the Lord's command, and Paul was named after him. His father was uh, born. He was born in Tarsus. His father was a Jew, but also involved in Roman culture. Paul was a Roman citizen, but he had Jewish and Greek education. All of these things God was using to set him up for calling. And in Philippians 3, 5, we see a little bit of Paul's pedigree. That he was circumcised the eighth day, which was a big deal for Orthodox Jews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as to the law, he was a Pharisee. He was a certified legalist. He knew everything that was in the law. He was the champion of Judaism, which was the idea of religion before Jesus Christ came on the scene. He was such a zealot, had so much passion that he actually began to persecute the church, which is why we see so much of his story in Acts. Now, you ought to be grateful that Paul has to tell all his business in the Bible and God is not telling yours. My God. Somebody is grateful that their testimony is not in Scripture for generations to read. But God saw fit to tell all of Paul's business so that maybe you could take care of yours. So we're going to see a little bit of what Paul walked through because this man had so much passion. He was persecuting the church of God. And we see it in Acts chapter 8 where Paul is really introduced to us. The disciple named Stephen is about to be stoned. So let me give you the context. In Acts chapter 8, the first three verses, it says, And Saul, still named Saul at the time, approved of his execution. This is Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Except the apostles. In verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, he didn't discriminate, and committed them to prison. He was on a mission against Christianity. Acts chapter 9 1 through 2 says, But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, y'all say the way, just so you know, a little history lesson, the way is what Christians called themselves back then when they didn't want to be all loud about like, Do you, are you down with Jesus because that could get you killed? They would just be like, are you in the way? Yes, I'm in the way. So Paul was looking for people who were in the way or belonging to the way. Again, the Bible says men or women because at least there was a time where women and children were excluded for these kind of things. But Paul's like, mm-mm, everybody's fair game. If you're preaching Jesus, I'm trying to lock you up men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's happening. Paul, so angry with the church. He didn't have this neutral approach to what was happening with the church of Jesus. He wasn't like, you do you, I'll do me, you have your truth. He was like, no, no, no. I hate anybody that's trying to claim Jesus as Messiah. And so I'm trying to tear down the church of God. As a matter of fact, let me take myself to the high priest. So I can get written permission to imprison people who are claiming Jesus. People belonging to the way. But look what the Bible says in the next verse. Acts chapter 9 verse 3. Now as he went on his way. Y'all say his way. way. And that's just a little side note. Because it's usually when we're going on our own way that Jesus has to come and interrupt us. (laughs) See if you're belonging to the way because there's one right way in Jesus... That's a different thing. But when you start doing your way, then Jesus has said, "Mm mm-mm, it's only one way and it's not yours. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly, y'all say suddenly, put that in the chat. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So now Paul is on the way to what might have been his greatest achievement as a legalist, his greatest achievement as a persecutor against Jesus Christ. He was about to make a name for himself. And I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where you thought, this is the promotion, this is the deal. When I get this connection, when I make this move, this is about to change the game for me. And right when you're on your way, Jesus interrupts you with the way. So Jesus interrupts him. And out of the goodness and grace of his heart, Paul saw at the time persecuting the church. And he doesn't say, here are your consequences. Here's why you're getting in trouble. Here's why I'm about to open up earth and swallow you whole. He says, why are you persecuting me? So the man who really should have been punished was invited into something. Do you know why? Paul's life was changed after this. Because here's the truth, church. Only an encounter with Jesus can change the heart of an oppressor. Only an encounter with Jesus Christ can change the heart of an oppressor. And Paul was an oppressor. Oppression isn't new to America, oppression is about humanity. We are always looking for ways to make ourselves better, make ourselves more powerful. And this man was deeply rooted in what he believed. This wasn't somebody who didn't know the scripture. He had deep understanding of the law and he was convinced that Messiah hadn't come. So anybody preaching him must be teaching heresy. He was angry at it and he wanted them punished for it. And Jesus meets him face to face and his life is changed. And I wonder how much, how many times we can offer up Jesus to somebody so that a life might be changed. I think the reason why we don't see this cultural takeover of the Christian church is because we have shallow faith and people have deep beliefs. People know why they don't like God or why they don't like church or why they don't like your version of God. And they have no problems letting you know exactly how they feel. They will post it, come for you in the comments, tell you everything. If you loved God, if God was good, then this would be true and we wouldn't have suffering. And God loves everybody and love always wins. And that just means you agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, that's why I don't fool with church. I don't fool with Jesus. I don't fool with none of that. And then Christians come back and we're like, (sighs) ah. You know, I'm going to pray for you. And we wonder why people's lives are not changed, why they're not convicted, because they are deep in their beliefs, and we come into them with shallow faith. They need real questions answered, and we're not giving them an encounter with Jesus. We're giving them t-shirts and hats and tote bags and sharing links to somebody else teaching the message, go listen to this pastor, come to this conference. What about you? What about you? Because Jesus didn't say go therefore and make disciples and make sure your conference is overflowing. Go therefore and make sure people subscribe to your YouTube. Go therefore and make sure you share all the links to all the books that you read. You be my representative. You change the world. You make disciples. You baptize them in my name. And when you need change, there's no march, there's no t-shirt, there's no house bill, Senate bill, vote, law, that's gonna change your heart. Only an encounter with Jesus. Do what you need to do in society. Be active. Do all the things. But if you want heart change, if you are concerned about people going to heaven, not just your life being more comfortable, that requires the gospel of Jesus Christ, church. Are we able to invite people to an encounter with Jesus? Have we had one ourselves? So don't be mad at the culture because they are not rejecting a Jesus that we present well. They're rejecting the Jesus that only blesses, that only comes alongside when your business is going well. That's dope, that's your homie. He always comes along to partner. If anything is hard, he's giving you permission to get out of it because he always wants hugs and high fives. That's what life is, and that's great when their life is great. But when their life is hard, you have not presented them a God that knows how to get them through hard things. And so Jesus comes and he gives this exchange with Paul that alters him. And in true fashion, Paul's change was immediate. Later on in Acts chapter 9, in the second half of verse 19 through verse 20, it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. When you read the book of Galatians, we get a little more insight. This actually was a couple of years that he was off having his time with the Lord, but this was after he had already submitted himself to this change of Jesus Christ. It says, and he immediately, y'all say "immediately." immediately. Immediately he proclaimed. Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Once consumed with annihilating and persecuting the church, then becoming the prominent voice in the New Testament for all of the letters written. Out of the 21 letters written, 13 are from Paul. Paul, who was on his way to get permission to put Christians in jail. And Jesus said, I can see through whatever this behavior is because I've got something on your life. That's what an encounter with Jesus will do. And so when we look at the life of Paul, we get to see some things that that really can affirm purpose in us. If you're wondering, what has God called me to do? What do I do with these talents and these gifts or or these things I'm excited about? Here's some things that you need to be aware of that, that will divinely affirm what God has called you to do. Number one, God has set us apart, set you apart before you were born. Before you were born, y'all, your purpose is not something that just makes the most money right now. Your purpose is not the trending occupation. It's got to be stirred up from something that happened before you were born because the Bible says that while you were in your mother's womb, God wrote intention in your DNA. He has something for you, and nothing around you can alter what God has for you. The reason why we need to know that God put purpose in us before we were born, as the Bible says in the Psalms, fearfully and wonderfully made, you formed me in my innermost being. And then Paul comes and says, even while I was persecuting the church, God had purpose on my life. So you can't judge people by whether or not they're walking in purpose by what you see. Because sometimes that purpose is waiting for them to claim it, and they're just walking in bad character. Because you don't want to be judged by walking in purpose based on how you live every day. It don't always look right, but it don't have to be created. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't need uh, uh, newspaper clippings and magazines and vision boards. All that stuff is great, but what God has for you is already available to you. And here's why it's important, because he's saying there are no parents, there is no housing situation, it don't require two parents in the home, whether you have one parent in the home, whether your child is divorced, whether you had abuse, whether you grew up poor, whether you grew up wealthy, public school, private school, only child, large family, none of those things have anything to do with what was written on your heart before you were born. And so you cannot come before the Lord and say, but God, look at my circumstances. He said, but wait a minute. With my miraculous hand, I wrote something in your heart. Before your mother saw your face, you had purpose for your life. So there can't be anything external that affects the divine internal purpose that God has given us. Number two, God's purpose changes your path, not your personality. Somebody ought to be grateful for that. Changes your path and not your personality. Listen, there's no Christian version of a personality. Sometimes we come to Jesus and think we need to change who we are because that's what it means to live for God. And listen, it's uncomfortable when you're trying to be somebody that you're not. Have you ever seen like really strong, assertive people who like get stuff done and they're trying to be nice? Doesn't it feel painful? And they're like, so how are you doing? You're like just say what you need to say. You don't care about my day. What do you need to say? It can be so painful when they're trying to smile or apologize. You're like, oh my God, just what is it? It it, it can be really hard, but that's because we kind of have an idea in our minds of what it means to be a Christian for Jesus. I remember when the Lord laid on my heart, I want you to be a teacher and a preacher of the word of God. Y'all, I was 19, 20 years old. That was a long time ago. And I don't know that I saw any female doing what I felt like God was asking me to do. I was like, God, this is not gonna work out. I'm single, I'm not gonna ever get married. Marry some man, he's talking about what you do, and I'm like, I'm a preacher. And then number two, I'm not quiet and I'm not sweet. I don't like flowers, I don't like pastels. I'm not teaching on Proverbs 31. Every conference has taught about that for 42 years. I don't like tote bags, hats, tees, flowers. I barely like children, I just like my two. And so I was like, I don't. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Where, where God is like, I need you to do this thing, but you're like, but I don't fit this. But he's saying, I'm not asking you to fit. I'm going to make it fit. I don't care about remaking your personality. I just want to redeem it so that you use it for me. So be who you are. If you're bold and assertive, do it in the name of the Lord. If you're quiet and analytical, do it in the name of the Lord. He's saying, I don't need to change you. Y'all, Paul went hard against Jesus. He went hard for Jesus. He didn't all of a sudden become kind because he came to the Lord. Well, we have to work on these things. Yeah, has that fruit of the Spirit. We have to grow in the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wasting energy trying to imitate some picture of Christianity that you made up. And you need to get that because let me tell you, Many times we are saying God's no for him because he's asking us to do stuff. And we're saying, but God, he does it better. She does it better. A hundred people already do this. I don't care if a million people do what God's asking you to do. They don't have your story. They don't have your personality. They don't have your experiences. They don't have your pain. They don't have your gifts. They don't have your talent. They don't have your relationship with the Lord. God did not call 20 people to change the world. He called every person that knows him as savior. Every single one. So you have to be convinced that even though we're gonna grow spiritually and we need to be more loving, there's always things to work on. The core of who we are is not a mistake. And that's a whole nother message on identity that I can't even get into right now for our culture. But the core of who you are Is not a mistake because that means God made the mistake. You have to question the deity of God if you're questioning the identity of yourself. You can't do one without the other. God says, I set you apart at birth. I gave you your personality. I just need to put it on the right path. Here's number three. Your passion is not what validates your purpose. Y'all, this is important because, listen, today is like, People are telling you if it don't feel good, if it don't get you excited, you shouldn't do it. Then, then what do we do? Because I don't know what gets me excited every day for the rest of my life. Passion comes and goes. Every day of marriage is not going to feel like the first week of dating. That's why people celebrate anniversaries. They're not celebrating all them good days. They're celebrating the bad days. And we still here. Nobody died. We didn't kill each other. Look at God. Listen, when somebody's posting their anniversary picture, what they're not saying is, "My God, by the grace of God." Because a year ago we wouldn't even been in the same frame close enough to take a picture. But look at what God has done. That's what it means to persevere. But we're in a culture that says if you don't like your job, quit it, start your own thing. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, it better be because God called you, not because you don't know how to submit to authority.) Okay. It, it, we're in a culture that's like, if they're not for you, if everybody around you is not cheering you on, then you need to cut them off. And then we wonder why we don't have no friends. Because friends disagree with you sometimes. Friends are not gonna always be excited about you. Passion is going to come and go. Don't waste your life trying to find the thing that makes you excited. It's a shallow emotion that will fail you. Say and if you don't know how to live on purpose and not just with passion, what happens when God calls you to the hard thing that you're not excited about? If you're so committed to passion, you're going to say, this must not be the Lord because I don't feel excited about it. And the enemy's like, yeah, yeah, move on to the next thing that makes you feel excited. So at the end of your life, you've done 72 things below average instead of one or two things well. I'm y'all trying to get me started today now. That's not even, that's not even my main point. Number four, number four, number four. God's purpose does not erase your past. I'm going to read this to you in Acts chapter nine, verse 21. And all who heard him, this is Paul they're talking about now, were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priests. They were like, wait, wait, this is Paul. Is this like little P that was bringing all the Christians to send them to prison? And now he has a whole new message? He was confused. Because little P had changed the game. And And in Acts 22, 23, the next two verses, it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews lived in Damascus proving that Jesus was the Christ when they wondered how this could be the same person he didn't feel like he needed to sit them down for an explanation he was like you know what you're right the one that I used to be that that was me but also this is me today and I will continue to grow in who I am it is in my growth that I will prove to you that I'm serious about Jesus I don't need to argue you down. I don't need to try to prove you wrong. Because at the end of the day, you're right. My past is not erased. Church, you did not become born the day you met Jesus. You had a life B.C. And some of y'all, listen, y'all know y'all got a B.C. testimony. Some of, listen, most of us have a a D.C. testimony, and that's during Christ. Oh, y'all don't have a D.C.? Who got a D.C. testimony? Right now. This morning says stuff. To my, thank God. They didn't, nobody saw that. We have a, we have a DC testimony. Cause I know what it was like when I grew up in church and people would get up and talk about that testimony and how the Lord changed their life. And they used to do all this stuff and now they don't do it anymore. And I used to be like, Ooh, I still do that. <laughs> I still do that Lord. And I have you. I don't know what that said about me. I want to say I once was blind, but now I see. The truth is, I once was blind, now I'm slightly less blind, but I got Jesus in my life. And every now and then, I get a little clarity. I can see a little something. But, but you need to be okay with your past, okay? Because the more wretched your past, then the more glory God gets when He uses you for righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? See, the more, the more you can admit who you used to be and who you still struggle being, then God can get the glory. And on top of that, the people won't be mad at the church when you act like a human. When you tell people, when I come to Jesus, suddenly I am perfect, and then you act very imperfect, then people ready to cancel church, I'm done with God, I'm done with church, y'all are all hypocrites, you're not loving, you're not, you're right, we are hypocrites. We do things that we say we don't believe because we are struggling. We don't always get it right. But I would rather tell you the truth and apologize than to sell some false sense of Jesus. You need to understand that sometimes my growth is from cussing you out out loud to just saying it in my head. And I got to celebrate. I'm like, whoa, look at the Lord. Look at the Lord. He worked it out. He worked it out. Now I'm not. Some of y'all act like Jesus just kind of tweaked you a little bit. I'm talking about radical change. See, when you ratchet, that's like when you change lanes and don't signal. When you ratchet is when you cut folks off and give them some sign language on the way to church. You know what I'm saying? So we we need to tell people I'm trifling and I'm ratchet, but I'm with Jesus. He working on me. And if if you see the foolishness in me, I'm not gonna act like it's not there. I'm not gonna act like it must be you. I'm gonna own it. You're right, but me and Jesus working on it. And then I'm gonna come back and be like, listen, I'm just here to tell you what I know to be true, not what I live out every day. And please don't let my life distract you from who Jesus really is. And if I make a mistake, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna act like I'm perfect. And if you bring up my past, because some people are going to come to you and say, weren't you the one, didn't you used to? Ain't that the same? Yes, 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 Uh, uh, that was me and this is me, and that's the struggle of the Christian life. I, I I don't know what else to tell you, because when I got saved, the Spirit of God indwelled me, but He indwelled my foolish flesh. So sometimes when we argue it out, the spirit wins, and sometimes the flesh wins. And if you catch me on a flesh day, I don't want you to think that I don't still really believe in Jesus. It's just been a hard day. Can somebody tell the world the truth about Jesus? So they don't feel like when they mess up or when they still step back into their old ways that God is not with them anymore? that they realize that victory is not always measured by never doing something again. Sometimes it's measured by doing it less and less and less. Sometimes it's measured by the fact you used to cut folks off every time they hurt your feelings, and now you let them stick around, you try to press through the conflict. It's not always measured by the way we think it is. And if the world saw the real Jesus, they might know what life change really looks like. It's not a switch that flips off and on. God's not gonna erase your past and right when you think you have escaped it. Y'all know about being somewhere and you see somebody, but like, oh no. <laughs> but you're with your new Christian friends. And you just like, oh and you're trying to remember if, if your life was real ratchet. How do I know them? They look <laughs> so funny. And then you like, oh. And they like, Jada! You remember college? I didn't go to college. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then your friends are like, do you know him? "Mm -mm, Mm-mm, mm-mm. But I get this all the time, I look like somebody. And you're just sitting there scared to death because you're like, I have not let this whole group of people in on my real life. They don't even know you used to live in that city. They don't even know you knew those people. But you wasted energy trying to create a lie when you could have just told them, this is who I used to be, but God is yet working on me. If we would just tell people the truth, church, God doesn't erase your past. Here's number five. God's purpose will redefine what you thought was right. God will change your values, y'all. So the things that you might have grown up valuing, God, God will switch that thing around. And if you've lived your whole life trying to prove somebody right or prove somebody wrong, man, that's a hard life to live. When God is saying, you don't have to prove anything to me. You can just be obedient to what I've already asked you to do. I'm going to change your values because if your whole life was geared about not growing up in an apartment or having your kids in private school or being the first homeowner or the first graduate from college in your your family or being debt free and maybe you had some values. I want to travel the world or I want to work for myself. Those things are all great. They're not God-given. Those are just values that came out of our baggage. And then we get disappointed when those values don't satisfy. You reach the thing and you're like, this is it? Yeah, that's it. Because it's not eternal, it's not divine, it's temporary. And God is saying, I can change your values. You too, like Paul can say in Philippians 3, 7 through 10, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Yes. Indeed, I count everything, every dream, every goal, everything I thought that my life was going to be geared around, I counted it as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord because there's something greater. God can change your values. God can change the way you think, what you thought was right, what you thought was your identity. When you were all connected to being the athlete or the smartest one or the attractive one or the one that could pay for people financially or the one that was always the loyal friend. All those things are fine, but they are not your identity. God says, I define that which means that if God can change Paul from his former way, he can change anybody. There is no habit or addiction or toxic way of thinking or old pattern or trauma or anything you have experienced that God cannot turn around in your life. And it may be for you and it may be for somebody that's in your life and you're like, will they ever change? How many times will we go through this? Can you offer them an encounter with Jesus? There's not anything in our lives that God cannot turn around. And lastly, here's what you need to know about purpose. God must be your primary guide at all costs. Because listen, in Acts chapter 20, 22 through 24, it says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, Paul says, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Come on, Holy Spirit, verse 23, except... That the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. Y'all say every city. Every city. That imprisonment and afflictions await me. Woo. Nope, that's not getting a clap for victory. That's not. Y'all not, woo, imprisonment. No, because if God is not your primary guide, that means the Holy Spirit is not your primary voice. And what happens is you'll just listen to him when he's saying things you want to say. But most of the time when we get a feeling, like I feel like the Lord is telling me, oh, I really feel like this is my season is over. God is. Is it? What what is the last thing God told you? Is he only telling you the stuff that you want to hear or has he told you some things that challenge you? Because when people tell me that God is affirming everything they're doing, I'm like, great. When's the last time God disagreed with you? Because I have found that generally he disagrees with me because I'm not God. So we can't be in alignment that much. So if he's only telling me good things, then maybe I'm not listening to the Spirit. Maybe I'm listening to myself and calling it the Spirit. Because the Spirit don't just tell you victory is yours. The Spirit tells you imprisonment is awaiting. Affliction is coming. Not every other city. Every city. All right, go with God. Go, handle it. And if we would really listen to the Spirit, church, when the imprisonment and the affliction came, we wouldn't be so surprised. And we wouldn't be trying to pray it away, talking about the enemy is attacking me. And God's like, it's not an attack. I told you it was coming. You didn't want to hear it. You were waiting on deliverance. And I told you that wasn't coming yet. I told you look for this imprisonment. These afflictions. I told you to not be surprised at the troubles that come your way. But if you would listen to me, you would have known this was coming. You would have been ready for it, had a word for it, would have been strengthened for it, and not been broken by it, waiting on me to fix it when I'm not going to change it. Because when God is not your primary guide, and the Spirit has a secondary or, or even tertiary role in your life, and you listen to yourself over everybody else, then you get surprised when hard things come your way. And because it don't feel good, you know, your passion is not in it. Then you're like, it must not be God. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. I don't. Listen, when y'all find that in your versions, please email me, info at visit1cc.com and let me know. Which pastor says God's whole mission is your happiness? Because then you have to show me how that was also true for Jesus Christ, <laughs> his, his one son. It just doesn't make sense. But when God is not our primary guide, then we can't hear clearly from the Spirit and we miss his direction. So, y'all, here's some divine things to keep in mind before we close out with the problems. I know y'all are excited. I've been waiting on the problems. Before we close out with the problems, thinking about these divine things as you're searching for purpose. Because, y'all, life is too short. James says it's but a vapor for us to not Be serious about what God has called us to. But understanding that it comes with problems, y'all. Y'all say problems. Problems. Are y'all ready for the problems? That's about six of y'all. Are y'all ready for the problems? Just pretend it's somebody else's problem. Are you ready now? All right, all right. First, purpose comes with physical problems. Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, (laughs) because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Remember I said it don't change your personality. He still had some arrogance issues. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times, verse eight, he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. (laughs) But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Now listen, we love sufficient grace. And we love the power of God. But you're like, God, why your power can't show up when I'm already strong? And then I'll be strong, and then your strength, and it will just be crazy strong, and the whole world will see. He's like, yeah, no, that's not how that works. When you're at your weakest is when my power is going to show up. This is not a metaphor for physical pain. I need you to understand. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm saying sometimes living on purpose does not mean guaranteed health. Don't let somebody tell you, you get to claim this, you're entitled to this. When Paul said, God sent me a thorn in the flesh, sent a messenger of Satan so I would keep myself humble. God sent the thorn in the flesh and didn't didn't take away Paul's purpose, didn't take away his calling. He said, I want you to do it with this. And no, I'm not going to take it away. I heard you the first two times, Paul. I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient. Can I tell you what he did not say? My healing is sufficient. y'all, we love a healing. I love a healing. I pray for many healings in my life, for myself, my friends, my family, but I know this, a healing is not what I'm entitled to. It's God's choice. And I know that every sickness in my life is not the hand of the enemy. Sometimes it's the hand of God using the enemy to keep me humble, to keep me dependent, so you be careful about what you say God owes you as Christians, because the word of God is going to disagree. There's going to be physical problems. Number two is going to be relational problems. Friends, and Barnabas and Paul, they had a lot of drama. in Acts chapter 15, they were riding hard together going for Jesus, and then all of a sudden there's a disagreement. Barnabas wants to bring somebody along, and Paul was like, "He didn't do no work. That's what the Bible says for real. Says, we're not bringing him. He didn't do no work last time we worked. It don't change your personality. Paul wasn't fooling with lazy people. He was like, hmm. He wasn't fooling with lazy people. And so Barnabas was want to bring the dude anyway, and Paul was like, no. And so they had a sharp disagreement, is what the Bible says, and they went their separate ways. And, and Paul picked up Silas, and Barnabas, I guess, kept the lazy man. And so they had a disagreement, y'all. And so this was a person that had started with Paul. But purpose in living in a calling that God has set for you does not guarantee that relationships will be easy. Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways, and the Bible didn't say Barnabas was in sin. The Bible didn't say Paul needed to go and, and, and fix the thing and reconcile and explain it. Sometimes it's just that way. People that start with you are not going to finish with you, and that is okay. There's going to be people in your life for a season, and that is okay. If you're not okay with those kind of relational strains, then you might not be ready to live this calling that God has for you. It's going to be hard friendships will be damaged your marriage will struggle your friends might want to leave you alone because you're so busy you're like I don't have time to do what y'all doing I'm over here focused and people might not want to get with you as much we don't unfriend and block and cut the whole world off we go on with our business and we still live on purpose you're going to have relational conflicts God is going to bring you around people that rub your personality the wrong way and you're like why everybody don't think the way I think And now you have to communicate with people differently. And now you have to learn how to resolve conflict. And now you have to not be so easily offended. My God, our whole culture is so triggered over everything. So disappointed, so easily offended. Why? We we are not able to suffer well. Our feelings are everything. And if you say something and it's the wrong tone or you use all caps, I don't like that emoji. How you gonna not respond back? I texted you this much, you texted me one line, we're not friends. like, oh my gosh everything. There's going to be relational discord if you're living on purpose. Don't think that living in God's calling means your relationships will be easy. There's going to be things in your friendship, in your marriage that you used to resolve in unhealthy ways. And then as you start walking with Jesus, the spirit don't give you peace about resolving it the unhealthy way and problems you didn't even know existed will start to show up because now you're having to deal with it the way God wants you to. You're going to have relational issues. And sometimes it's going to even bring some loneliness, which we saw in the life of Paul. Number three, you're going to have vocational problems. Y'all say vocational because his job was high risk. Y'all listen at Acts chapter 14, he was stoned. It says the Jews came from Antioch and having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul, dragged him out the city, supposing that he was dead. But in verse 20, it says, but when the disciples gathered around Paul, he rose up, and entered the city and on the next day can y'all say next day, next day. he went on with Barnabas to Derby now listen he has been stoned and drugged <laughs> stoned and drugged and his friends were like come on get this news for it get up let's go shake it off take a shower and he was like the next day back to preaching the gospel And we got folks who have to take off for their birthday. They can't even work because it's their birthday and I got to celebrate me and I got to be about me. This man was stoned and drugged. And the next day he was on mission. Life is short. Life is short, y'all. So you're going to have challenges. You're going to have vocational problems because the thing God called you to isn't easy. But here's the thing. God went like, hey, take some time off. Go heal up, Paul. He was like, the next day. There is a gospel to be preached. You know why Paul could shake it off? Because he listened to the spirit who had already told him that in every city, you're going to have imprisonment and affliction. So Paul was like, oh yeah, yeah. I knew this was coming, spirit. Had my community ready. Had my mind already right. This is not going to take me out. Yes, it's hard, but God is stronger. Let's do this thing. And the next day, the Bible says, he was up preaching the gospel. Again, in in Acts chapter 16, a story many of us know. Paul cast out a demonic spirit from a slave girl. Now, the spirit casting out was an amazing thing because God was using the disciples and apostles at that time to to work crazy miracles. But the spirit that she cast out made her bosses mad because they were using that spirit for profit. So they were mad. So they were like, wait a minute, everybody's not going to celebrate your healing. Do you understand that? Okay. So Paul cast out the spirit and her masters were angry. So they stir up the entire city against him and Silas. They were arrested, beaten, and put in prison. Y'all, that's not pretty. That's not, that's not what you post. Look at my purpose. It got me beat up. Nobody's, nobody's posting that. And so here we have God saying, you are very much on task, Paul. So all of these hardships, all of these afflictions, you are very much in the middle of my will. And right when it seemed like you couldn't take any more because you've been stoned and drugged, now beaten and imprisoned. And I'm sure the irony was not lost on Paul that he himself used to do the same thing to Christians. The irony isn't lost on him, but now he finds himself imprisoned again. But it is in that prison that him and Silas praise all night long. And you know this part of the story because the Bible says around midnight... The earth began to shake and their chains began to break. But they knew that their praise was not for their own freedom because they were already free even though they were in prison. They didn't need to be physically free. They had spiritual freedom. But Paul is affirmed in his calling because in the middle of that prison, in the middle of his praise, the Gentile jailer comes and says, what must I do to be saved? And church, I just want to know if we are willing to risk salvation of a soul, just to avoid the inconvenience and the hardship of purpose. You might avoid prison, but you also might avoid the salvation of a soul. Paul says, it's worth it. I will stay right up in here in these chains. Praise my way out. When the chains broke free, y'all, he didn't leave. He wasn't trying to escape. He was already free. When you're already free, you're not consumed with your circumstances. Because wherever God has you, you're free. He didn't leave. He's like, I still have ministry here to do. Second Corinthians 11, talking about hardships, verse 24, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one, 39 lashes, five times. The Jews, his own people, Mama. his people. Don't be taken aback when your people only like the old you and they give the new you all the lashes. That's what happened. Verse 25, three times, often without food in cold and exposure and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches and that is not a resume that many of us would be running toward paul is saying this was my life and y'all i'm not telling you that if you want to live for god you're going to always be fear fearful of your life or worrying about being beaten or in prison i'm not saying that there are people who live that reality in this world there are christians still persecuted like this y'all I'm not talking about persecuted like with cyberbullying and people talking bad about you online and people not inviting you to stuff I'm talking about life-threatening persecution because people are trying to claim the name of Jesus so how are we so unable to endure any kind of hardship we're worried about being canceled. We don't want to say the wrong thing. And I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm cool. And I don't want to make the church seem like it's so hard. to have such high standards. It is hard. It does have high standards. It's not going to be popular to everybody. But are we willing to endure those hardships? You're going to have relational, physical, vocational problems. And lastly, you're going to have spiritual problems. Y'all are like, oh, now wait a minute. Why? Because you think, if I'm living on purpose, the Lord needs to take care of all the spiritual drama. Life should be great. But here is Paul, living on purpose, doing the bold things for God. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 7, 15 through 24. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody know what Paul is talking about? Uh huh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Even in the middle of God's great calling on your life, you will experience spiritual tension. If you think that the internal wrestle and the tension in your life must mean that you're not doing something right. That's not always accurate. You can love God, be going hard for God, and still wrestle because inside of us, we've got a sinful person that doesn't die at salvation. They just have to move over for the Holy Spirit to take up residence. You have a constant tension. And if you don't have that tension, you might question whether or not the Holy Spirit's even in there. Because if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, everything is a fight. You have things you want to say, things you want to do, things you have to deny yourself. It's always a struggle. But you need to understand that even in your spiritual struggle, church, God will call you to fulfill purpose. It will be at your lowest moment, your weakest point. You didn't have quiet time that day. You haven't had it all month. You feel far from God. You don't have any scripture except Jesus wept. You don't feel like praying for somebody. And then God's going to send somebody. They're going to text you, call you, need you, and he's going to want you to minister to them. You're going to say, God, I have nothing. He's going to say, I know, I'm everything. I don't need you to have nothing. I need you in your weakness to know that now my power is about to shine through. And you will know in that moment when you had a word of encouragement, when God somehow gave you wisdom, when you didn't even feel it for yourself, it had to be God that ministered through you in that moment. Because even in your spiritual low, God will use you for great things. And we need to know this, church, so we don't check out. I don't want us to check out when relationships get hard, when the physical life, the toil and turmoil of doing things God's called us to do gets hard. I don't want us to check out. I don't want us to check out when the spiritual life gets hard because that's a part of living on purpose. And here's why we do it. We have a goal in mind. The G is gratitude. This is part of the goal because if you know what you've been forgiven from if you know your whole story not the part you share your whole story then you will have an overflowing sense of gratitude to give your life to the one that saved it the one that rescued you probably on more times than we care to remember you give your life and you like Paul say I am the chief sinner I know what I deserve and here's what God is doing for me. The O is obedience to God. Romans 12:1 I appeal to you brethren that you would present your bodies living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God. Just plain obedience y'all. That's why we live on purpose because our lives are not our own and we owe that to a God who rescued us. The A is ambition. And that's a holy ambition. I'm not talking about your hustle. I'm talking about holy ambition. Romans 15 20 Paul says I make it my ambition to preach the gospel your ambition that God has given you is not going to always be the most popular and it certainly won't always pay the most but it's the thing that God has called you to live out holy ambition puts life in perspective so we have gratitude obedience ambition and lastly love because Mark chapter 12 Jesus sums up the entire Bible and he says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that does not mean that every single thing you do is going to be in ministry. It may be in industry, but it's still what God is using in you. I have a friend, Erica, y'all. She is a great loctician. She can hook your hair up. But let me tell you, she's heartbroken when her clients don't have community and don't have churches they belong to, not when they're unsatisfied with her work. I have a friend, Rosemary, and she is a banging real estate agent. She will find you anything, anywhere. She's amazing, but she does it because every time she gets to share the gospel, she gets to show people how to set up homes of faith and not just houses. I have friends, Isaiah and Justin, and listen, they'll get you fine and fit. You might not like the journey, but they want you to not just look good. They want you to be healthy so you can live out the calling that God has given you, so you can be strong for your family, so you can avoid many of the preventable diseases that come our way so it's not just about being in church but it's about being on calling i need you to understand that problems are going to come with this thing that just like those strikers we saw in the images the enemy is going to strike at you all the time and you have to ask this question is my purpose worth it is my purpose worth it when the financial hardships strike against me when my marriage seems to be falling apart, when the enemy's striking me with anxiety and depression, when he's striking me with grief and another death and another loss, when he's striking me with feeling inadequate and doubtful, when I feel accused, when I feel like life is unfair, when I feel like I can't win, I'm unqualified, God. Is my purpose worth it? When God strikes, allows the enemy to strike you over and over and over and over again. Is it worth it? I have one answer, even on my hardest days. Yes. Quite simply, yes. And let me tell you why. Because a God that does not need you wants you. A God that could do it all without you, still wants you. A God that knows your whole story, still wants you to represent him to the world. A God that knows you could not choose him, so he chose you first. Y'all life is short and our world is hurting. The Bible tells me it's not going to get better before it gets worse. My life is not anchored in a better earth. My life is anchored in a populated eternity. I want to bring people into heaven. And I can only do it if I live on purpose. So that's our challenge for today. To know that it comes with the divine. It comes with the problems. But there is no other way to live. In Jesus' name.